This is Kim Davis and welcome to another one-on-one. -on -one. And with us today I have Rod Favron, who's CEO of Spreadfast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. And of course we have met before. I've written about Spreadfast on a number of occasions over I guess probably the last two or three years. But, you know, every part of the marketing technology space is rapidly evolving. And just before I hit record we were talking about, you know, how things have changed, um, whether Spreadfast is keeping its focus on social media, whether it's broadening its scope of what it does. So tell me, what's your view about what Spreadfast should be doing these days? Well, I will tell you, the social space um, is uh, ripe with opportunities for innovation and depth. Uh, it's still a relatively new market. We're a decade in. So, so the question about what, you know, are we focused more on social or more on sort of width and omni-channel and more front office, the answer is more on social, much deeper on social. Um, and we think there's a tremendous amount of innovation and investment necessary over the next five years to, to put these solutions in the enterprise's hands so that they can really accomplish what they want. That being said, there are a few places where we're being a little more omni-channel in the way we think, um, up top around planning and uh, building campaigns and really sharing content, and then really sort of at the end of the workflow, if you will, which is really pulling all the analytics back and asking yourself the question, which channel worked the best really across my own channel strategies. And so we think those are the two places where we sort of get a little bit out of the world of social a bit, mm -hmm. but 90% of our energy is, uh, is going deep. As I understand it, when it comes to the analytics, you're not just looking at the, uh, the metrics for the social campaigning. You're comparing that with metrics from other campaigns and other channels as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think obviously first, um, you know, in this industry, there's still innovation necessary so that brands can see the efficacy of their of their organic campaigns, their their UGC campaigns, their their paid ad campaigns on Facebook, for example. You know, that's still not simple today because it's so fragmented. Um, for example. If we go back a long time, people used to create a couple pieces of content, put them out, and see how they did, yeah. right? So, so now they're creating 4,000 pieces of content. <laughs> so so, so just, just aggregating back results on 4,000 pieces of content targeted a whole bunch of places, some with ad spend, some without, is, is very hard to do today. Um, and so, so making that easy is sort of, is sort of step one. And then, um, obviously, comparing it, right? And so yeah. you, you want to know, look, this, I, I ran this campaign on this other channel that wasn't social. You know, I, I did some search stuff. I did email. I did, and so how are those comparing? I think that's uh, – we also do a lot of that. That's where there's more omni-channel work. Okay. Now, the way the social space ha has evolved over the years, it might almost seem that surely social media management is easy now when it comes to campaigns because Facebook's the only game in town. Isn't, isn't it just that cut and dried? But, in fact – it's not that simple, is it? Because Facebook is kind of a many-headed beast in itself. Yeah, great. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> I think uh, I'm glad you said those words, not me. But but I think that if, if Facebook has become an ecosystem, yeah. right? it, it it used to be the newsfeed, um, and now obviously you add Instagram, you add Messenger, you add the WhatsApp. So you, it's now a multi-channel opportunity, frankly, for a brand. Uh, and so it, it's almost, it, it parallels a little bit. If you go back to when we started in this business in 2009, 2010, you had, you had Facebook and you had Twitter and, you had, and, and there are still other networks, but you're right. Facebook in and of itself is, is, is a, is its own set of networks. Okay. Well, we're talking about Instagram as well there. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and Instagram, I mean, shockingly big now, 800 yes. million people, right? So it's, it's gotten huge scale. Uh, as a matter of fact, 
I think for the top five, yeah, for the top five global networks from a user perspective are Facebook owned. I, um, WeChat sneaks in there okay. and messes with the Facebook party, I think, at number four. But one, two, three, and five are all Facebook owned, Facebook owned products. Okay. And you're, you're incorporating WeChat and the platforms you're, you're managing? We are. I, I, you know, to be totally candid, there are always limitations with yeah, Chinese yeah. networks, yeah. Uh, especially when you're outside of China. But to the extent that, that um, you know, our global brands, obviously WeChat's an important channel for them. And so we do. We do. Sure. WeChat. Okay. Um, now, we're talking about campaigning, and um, we all know the, the social ad spend is going up, but another, perhaps less obvious, but increasingly important part of social now is, is what do you want to call it, customer care or support or service. It's kind of at that end, and that's something you're interested in, isn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, it's interesting. When we started the business, um, you know, there was this phenomenon in social where when you marketed, um, you were marketing on channels that allow people to talk back right and so because that was true from day one we had to allow brands to respond to people which is sort of service-like in a way right yeah. and 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 you know we, we didn't know uh, how this was going to evolve frankly we uh, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd sound really smart if we pretended like we knew how this was going to turn out the whole time but but as we fast forward now there's tremendous amounts of volume and uh, opportunities for brand to engage in what we call these little mini journeys, sort of um, you and one customer, you and one prospect, you and one consumer who wants to talk to you. And, yeah. so, and so at scale, how you find those opportunities, um, uh, which ones you choose to engage with, who engages with them, uh, with what words, in what content, in what way, how fast, in what language around the world, you know, that, that has become uh, a big part of our product suite. For, for, for a big brand and especially an international brand, you could have a, an enormous number of customer conversations going on at the same time. It takes some managing, doesn't it? So it does. It's interesting. So we've, we've historically focused on managing um, the human conversations that are occurring, right? Mm -hmm. and, and now what's happening is we're putting bots in the middle of these conversations. Right. And so, um, so when a customer reaches out and, say, and has a question... Um, have we have we set the rules up such that we've got a bot that's going to answer that question? Something simple like, "What are your hours?" Right in this particular store, um, uh, and in some cases, we've we've seen situations where we have two bots that are kind of con in contention over whether they should answer. Meanwhile, there's a human sitting there <laughs> really? about to respond. So not only do you have to manage the complexity of of which conversations do you engage on and who does it, you know, globally from a people perspective, 24 hours a day. Um, we're automating some of this activity, uh, so you know we also have to orchestrate the bots while right. we're orchestrating the people and make those two work together. Because there's, there's really fascinating handoffs where, where the bot might start the conversation or might be the first couple pieces of a conversation, um, and you have to recognize very quickly, hey, this needs to be handed off to a human. And so just that process of, of applying automation um, so you can scale, yeah. uh, but not losing that opportunity to be personal. The, 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 the interesting challenge about social is it's a personal conversation. It, for, it's personal for people, and if they figure out they're talking to a bot, they get pretty cranky. <laughs> and start asking dumb questions. <laughs> um, okay, now, there's the public element of social. There's when, when customers talk back to brands on their Facebook page or on Twitter, and everyone can see what's going on. But the other thing uh, you were emphasizing before we started the podcast was the growing volume of what you might think of as private interactions and messaging or, or indeed on you know chatbots or whatever. But you have visibility into that too, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that 
Look, I think the remit from a social perspective, the way we see our mission is, is sort of anything that is in the broader context of social channels, those bi-directional channels, um, and, and frankly, the interaction over a messaging um, uh, environment versus the interaction with a private message over the Facebook newsfeed or on a brand page yeah. or a DM from Twitter is not terribly different than you know, interacting publicly. Uh, and, and you're interacting with the same people. Uh, on the same sites, on the same locations, in many cases with the same IDs, and you want to know who they are. And so, so, so we, uh, we find ourselves doing a lot more, our customers do a lot more uh, volume across those. And, and we view those as first-class citizens, those type of networks, the, the messaging systems, as, as well as, frankly, just the news feeds. The, we view them all the same. Okay. Now, there's an interesting tension, I thought, between, on the one hand, the understanding that the experience for customers needs to be seamless, whether they're receiving marketing messages or ads from you or they're receiving care and support. It all has to like blend together, talking to the same brand. And yet, you've developed separate solutions for the campaigns and, and for, for care. So can you explain how, how that kind of works? Yeah, so I, I think that, look, historically, marketing software and call center software never met before. They wouldn't recognize each other if they ran into each other in an alley. Um, from, from a social perspective, uh, the way this evolved, we, we built a, a social management system, a social media management system that both marketing people and sort of the early care people worked together on. It was primarily built for a marketing use case, though. And so, so as, as the market grew up, um, we recognized the need to purpose build right. some service product, what we call social care. Uh, and, and because they have a different work rhythm and uh, they operate differently than the marketing teams do. However, they have such a common need, right? They have common, you know, they're touching uh, the users on the same networks. Um, you know, oftentimes the, the inbound is, is in response to an outbound message. Um, and so the connection between care and marketing in social is just linked and it has to be linked. And so we believe that you, what you need is a common system for, for those two workflows, if you will, inside okay. your business. And, and, and a common set of capabilities under the covers that sort of connect the content from the marketing side to the care side, that connect the consumers or the customers that you're talking to, um, that connect, you know, in all the enterprisey stuff like permissioning and workflow and who can do what and who's allowed to do what. Um, and, so, and so that, so, we, so you said we have two different ones. That's true. They're built for the two different purposes, but they're built on a common platform and they're completely integrated. You sort of can't tell that you're in two different products. Interesting. Okay. And in terms of benchmarking success with uh, customer, the customer care product, I mean, with campaigns, you've got a pretty clear idea what you're looking for in terms of ROI. What's, what's, what's the ROI? How do you go about measuring ROI when it comes to customer care? Is it just like happily resolved cases, something like that? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways. I mean, so, so um, you, you can do, we, we give you the ability to, to do NPS surveys like you would. So if you, if you have an interact with somebody, okay. somebody on Twitter, for example, you can, you can, as soon as you're done, you can, you can push out a Twitter card that's an NPS survey. Um, and so, so there are those type of sort of survey-like activities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we can also monitor um, uh, both the sentiment and in some cases the emotion of these conversations as, as, as sort of emotional emojis evolve. I see. Right? Yep. You can get a sense for happiness uh, related to the interaction uh, by, by sort of monitoring, um, 
you know, the sentiment of the conversation itself. Um, you, you can, a lot of times, um, you, can, you can immediately tell when the content comes back how happy the person is. Um, yeah. and, and in many cases, they'll make it publicly known, yeah. right? They, they'll, they'll, make it, they'll, they'll tweet out or they'll post out, that was just a great experience with Airbnb or whoever I'm having yeah. the interaction with. Um, man, I'm going to stay there all the time. Uh, and and w- what's interesting at that point is we uh, we also allow the customer, our customers at that point, if they have a piece of user content that they like, mm-hmm. uh, this is where marketing and care connect. If they have a piece of user content, this has been a great back and forth between you and me, and you are now a very satisfied customer, um, and you send me a, a, a piece of content that is clear you're a very satisfied customer, <laughs> okay. um, yeah. I can then ask you for permission to use your content and get consent. You can click on a little consent form, and I can take it and pop it over to marketing, and they can use it in a campaign. And so I, we, there's, you know, I, I think the reality is that every touch point today is a marketing opportunity, mm-hmm. every touch point, especially public touch points. And so uh, you know, we just have to, treat, we have to treat every public interaction on social media like a press release. It's interesting. A successful treatment of the customer's concerns can generate a piece of content, which then becomes user-generated content and can be turned to marketing purposes. Absolutely. Lovely idea. Okay, and just let's touch on brand reputation. When we're in the public domain, obviously social is the danger area for a brand getting absolutely hammered for doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing. Is that something, uh, obviously you can monitor that through, through Spreadfast, is that something you have um, particular solutions to deal with? We do. Um, you know, within the marketing suite, um, there are a series of use cases that we design against. Mm-hmm. One of them is sort of PR and crisis-oriented things. And so in, in that case, if you've got a uh, – if, if you, you, you can monitor for things in your industry you're worried about, um, you know, sort of historically, right, you, you know, if you're, um, if you're a hotel, you're monitoring for very negative guest comments or, you know, things like right. that, that where you're mentioned and, and things could be bad. Um, maybe you're monitoring for – these days you're monitoring for – a you know, some unfortunate event in, in, a, in a city you're trying to market to. Yeah. So, you know, there's been a terrorist attack or there's been, um, and, and so, so, the, so from a crisis perspective, our products, you know, the customers focus on a couple things. One, discovering the crisis and then, and then monitoring with real data what's, what do people really think? Because it's pretty yeah. easy to get sort of hyperbole, right? You can, you can look at the top three comments yeah. and, and, and then leap to a conclusion that everybody feels that way. Um, I think what you have to do is look at the data a little deeper and come back and go, okay, so this, the sentiment on this is really not as bad as we thought, right? Here's how we should comment on it. Here's how we should manage it. Um, and, and then the other side of that is, is while you're managing the crisis, you've got all this marketing content queued up. You know, you might have 6,000 posts queued up around the world that are just part of other campaigns. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a crisis that occurs. Uh, we, we actually have a capability called Global Pause where, okay. where, 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 the, where the CMO can just push a button um, it's not a big red button. That'd be pretty cool. But just, you just push a button and everything stops. Okay. Like the company sends out no more content globally for however long until they push the button again, because you know, and it's become, unfortunately in today's world, it, it's all too common when there is something that has occurred yeah. that you might have content queued up that you're going to look tone deaf on if that content goes out. Absolutely. And so, and so, so from a crisis perspective, we think of it in two or three different ways. Okay. Um, something which is also familiar for, to social media users, the way these things can blow up for a brand. Yeah. Let's just change gear and to finish off, talk a bit about where we are because we're sitting in the sunny conference room in Austin, um, spread fast home, although I know you're also in New York, London, I think in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the Austin tech scene? It's, 
it's growing, isn't it? It's interesting. Austin's a great tech scene. You know, I, I moved here uh, uh, 20 years ago to do startups mm-hmm. um, and, and raise my kids in one place and kind of be in the tech community in the city. Um, and, and, and this is, uh, it's a great place to live. It's a great place to start companies. It's a great place for talent. Um, you know, if you read, it's, you know, whatever best city reports come out in the last <laughs> five years, Austin's been in the top one, two, or three for all those reports, and therefore we have a lot of people moving here, um, which, can, which can be good and bad, creates yep. infrastructure challenges, but the amount of talent moving here uh, is incredible. And so, great place to put, to put uh, a tech company. Great. Well, I'm very happy to visit you in Austin, and thanks for joining us for the podcast. Thanks.